You are now about to witness the strength of Raider Nation. The Raiders go into Arrowhead and get an arrow to the head. Actually, several arrows to the head. Arrows to the heads of the offense, defense, special teams, coaching staff. Just a volley of arrows raining down and destroying the Raiders. Uh, only one managed to escape. All of this was Josh Jacobs, who ran and just kept running. This is Raiders back-to-back 31-point beatdown nation. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the New Era Nation, an Oakland Raiders podcast about the Oakland Raiders. And we hope to provide you good insight and information and opinions on this team and the rest of the NFL. So let's... And isn't it a lovely morning? Oh, I don't know. Sheriff, is a 31-point beatdown lovely? Is going around for the past two weeks knowing your team has gotten beaten down by 31 points by two different teams? Is that lovely? Sheriff... You're a great sheriff of Rock Ridge. But honestly, you're about to be unemployed here. Okay, so like I said, another week, another 31-point annihilation at the hands of a... This time at the hands of an actual Super Bowl contender, at least. There's a silver lining to this. Yeah, so the Raiders roll into the KC and can't even make this game competitive as they lose 40-9. to Another 31-point beating, as I've mentioned about 20 times already. And we can go ahead and bookend that, pair it with the matching 31-point beatdown from the previous week from the Jets. And I want to talk about said beatdown and my thoughts on it and the details of the game. And where this team stands and pretty much where they're headed. So let's get to it. The Raiders roll into Kansas City in Arrowhead Stadium and proceed to get beaten down. It was never really close. The outcome was never in doubt. And the problem with this team is we need all phases functioning correctly, efficiently, for them to have a chance to win. Now, what was run into these past few weeks is against the Jets, Although the offense started decently, the defense was a open wound. So as the offense in the beginning of that Jets game tried to move the ball and was successfully moving the ball, a couple drives stalled out, and the Raiders needed that defense to make a couple stops so the offense could get another chance. But in the Jets game, the defense played like continued to be wide open, ready for anyone to come through, much like the street life at night on Hollywood and Vine or the local popular red light district in your area. Anyway, this week was the opposite. The defense came out and played admirably. They did all they could in the first half. And the problem was the offense. And not necessarily the whole offense. Josh Jacobs also started out well. The problem was Derek Carr. And it's a major problem. And I've said in the past, even after the Jets game, I'm not worried about Derek Carr. I've seen all I need to see. Well, after this Chiefs game, I really have to reevaluate what I'm talking about and what I have seen. 
after this Chiefs game, it's put a lot of doubt into what I do see from Derek Carr and his ability to lead this team to any significant victory. Now, Derek Carr did lead his team, did lead this Raider football team to a 12-4 and record, tied with the Chiefs in 2016. And his only significant game at this point would have been the playoff game that they earned that year. But as we all know, Carr was seriously injured and didn't get to play in that game. So what I have to go on as far as big games, must-win games, has been these past two weeks, things like that, and also his performance, his history throughout his whole career versus the Chiefs in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. Derek Carr has never won at Arrowhead Stadium, and that streak continues. He's now 0-6. But some of these games at Arrowhead Stadium had big implications going forward. And how did Derek Carr perform in those games? Let's take a look. In 2015, with the help of, you know, Raiders rebounding, sitting at a 7, trying to get at least an 8-8 eight and eight record, the late game at Arrowhead, as usually is, and significant for the Raiders as they rebounded nicely that year, and we're trying to build towards at least a 500 record at 8-8. Eight and eight. This was actually the Raiders' best performance versus the Chiefs at Arrowhead since Andy Reid has arrived. The final score was only a six-point loss. Although the Raiders did score, they were down by 13 and did score a touchdown with around two minutes left to make the score closer than the game really was. But in that game, Derek Carr's stat line, 191 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, Alex Smith, who was a quarterback at the time for the Chiefs, actually had a very bad game at Arrowhead with two interceptions, one returned for a touchdown by David Amerson. I mean, these kind of things kept the game close, and Alex Smith was having a very bad game. That being said, Raiders had a chance to take control of this game if someone would just step up. In the first half, Derek Carr's stats in that game, 89 yards, one interception. And Carr would add a touchdown towards the end of the game. I think that was the last touchdown the Raiders scored with about two minutes left. And that was Carr's second season. It provided some hope. Well, look how they did against the Chiefs. The Raiders didn't do too bad. Going forward, this really provided hope that the Raiders would actually get over the hump, beat the Chiefs in KC. Going into the 2016 season, both teams tied first place, and the same scenario rolls around. Much bigger stakes this time around. The Raiders win. They're in first place. They're going to win the division. They're going to win the AFC West. So what happened in that game? Oh, it looks like another close game. The Raiders lose again, this time 21-13 versus the Chiefs. Especially compared to these last two years, these last two visits to Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, those scores look great. At least they look close. But at halftime, this game was 21-10. to And the Raiders would add a field goal in the second half. And in that game, a much-needed, the most important game in Derek Carr's career up to that point, how did he perform at Arrowhead Stadium? 17 out of 41 for 117 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Well, at least he didn't throw a pick, right? But upon further review... 41 pass attempts, and you complete 17 of them. Over 40 pass attempts, and you're nowhere near completing even half of them. 
And what did you get out of those 41 pass attempts? 117 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. So you talk about a completely ineffective game when the Raiders needed him once again to carry them in Arrowhead. And Carr was could do nothing, absolutely nothing, to affect the Raiders in a positive way, to give them a chance to even win. And keep in mind Alex Smith was still the starting quarterback of the Chiefs at this time. We know Alex Smith is a conservative type who doesn't take chances. And the pattern with this Chiefs team was a great early season start, as usual. But they would start to fade towards the end of the season. So it would give the Raider fans and nation, you know, even more hope that we could beat this team. The Alex Smith version of the Chiefs is a much weaker version. And, you know, that, that could attribute to why the score was closer and he didn't score as many points. But these past two years have been part of the Patrick Mahomes reign of terror and how, how the Chiefs do and how the Raiders do against them in Arrowhead. Those two games. In 2017, another trip to Arrowhead, another loss. 26-15. to 15. Not a bad score, right? Well, consider the fact the Chiefs were up 26 to nothing into the third quarter. The Raiders put up 15 points in the fourth quarter. That's all garbage time. And Derek Carr's stats in this game, although better, 24 out of 41 for 211 yards and a touchdown, but two costly interceptions. So at, at 211 yards and a touchdown, and two interceptions. That's the most productive car has been so far at Arrowhead Stadium. And at looking at the numbers, obviously nowhere near good. As a matter of fact, in that first half, um, where the Raiders need to perform well and make a statement to be even be in the game by halftime. Sixteen and nothing by halftime. Derek Carr's first half stats five out of thirteen for thirty one yards and one interception. In the game, when the game was 26 nothing and well out of hand, Derek Carr would begin to get most of his yards and his one touchdown pass, also with another interception. Think about that, guys. Five out of 13, 31 yards and an interception. When the team needs you the most, when you need to perform your best, you perform at absolutely the worst you've ever performed. And I apologize, 2017, this was the last year of the Alex Smith era. And it wasn't much better. The score was closer. The Raiders still got dominated all game. And Derek Carr played like shit and didn't show up. And then we get to last year in the first year of the Mahomes era. And what was the score in that game? 35-3. to Derek Carr's line, 24 out of 33. 185 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. 97 yards in the first half, two interceptions. One returned all the way for a touchdown. The other one returned basically into scoring range for the Chiefs. And, of course, let's add this year's to it. A freshly baked 40-9 beatdown at Arrowhead. And how'd Carr do in that game? 20 out of 30, 222 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. How do you do in the first half? 6 out of 12, 
90-something yards, two interceptions, one return for a touchdown. This goes beyond just, oh, he had an okay game. He, he didn't have a good game. He had a bad game. No, he had a horrible game. He had worse games of his career. And after six years of seeing the same thing over and over again, well, you have to arrive to the obvious conclusion. Derek Carr in Kansas City is a new level of incompetence. These past two years alone, he's got one touchdown and four interceptions. He's got more touchdown passes to the Kansas City Chiefs than he does his own team the past two years. And when you continually, every single time, so consistently perform that pathetically in Kansas City, there's only one conclusion. He is not, the pattern there has been he can't even pass for 100 yards in the first half. And usually he's given up interceptions, definitely no touchdown passes. And in recent history, he's given up interceptions for touchdown returns. So when the team needed Derek Carr the most, when other areas were performing at least efficiently enough, Derek Carr fell on his face. Derek Carr crapped himself. And he did not step up and he gave nothing to the Raiders' cause in Kansas City. Now you might think, well, he just has a problem in Kansas City. Well, that's bad enough because they're in our division. We have to play them every year there. And the games in Kansas City usually are very important. So that's bad enough. That's grounds for moving on if you can't beat a division rival at their place. But when you play that shitty, I mean, that's a whole nother level. You cannot win an arrowhead. You can't even play quarterback in arrowhead with any kind of consistency or efficiency. And this directly ties to the biggest games in Carr's career have been these KC games. And how has he performed? This is a guy that cannot perform and hasn't been performing when we needed him most to do so. And I've sit here and had patience. And I believed in Derek Carr. And there's some things that are correctable. His pocket presence is light years ahead of what it has been. His movement in the pocket, his you know ability to sense pressure and move around while still looking downfield, that's a major improvement. But there's some things you just can't teach and something I overlooked, which is probably the most important attribute that a quarterback can have and that I've waited to see in Derek Carr and that I do not see. And every time the moment has come up, I see the same negative thing every single time. And while Gruden's worked wonders with his pocket presence and movement, there's just some things you can't teach. And one of the most important things, probably the most important thing as a quarterback that you cannot teach, is instincts, instant reaction, processing of what's going on around you at that moment. In other words, being under pressure and performing under pressure. A lot of guys perform well under pressure, and others fall apart when the pressure's on. I feel Derek Carr leans more in that latter category. And what I've seen with my own two eyes supports that. No matter how much I try to convince myself that it might come around, that he's not as bad as it seems. When the pressure's on, when the pocket is collapsing, when it's all chaos around you, Carr does not know what to do. And as, go, as seen evidenced by him missing a screen to Josh Jacobs while he, you know, looked around in a panic. And not being able to adjust to coverages. And I've seen the great quarterbacks, you know, slip out a pass somehow, some way, 
right as they're getting sacked out of nowhere, giving it to a receiver or back for big gains, for a big play. Their car doesn't have this ability. Now, who does have this ability? Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, of course. I've even seen this ability out of Jimmy Garoppolo and Josh Allen. And Garoppolo makes a lot of panicky plays, but he also does make some plays in the clutch. And a lot of the times when there is that chaos and that pocket is collapsing, Derek Carr's go-to move is the throw it in the dirt two feet away from you. Throw it in the dirt at your feet. That's his favorite go-to move when the pressure's on. And that's frustrating, and I'm fucking sick of it. What is this, amateur hour? He's got to lead the leagues in giving up on plays. He has to lead the leagues. I've never seen anybody just toss it to the ground with disdain and give up on a play as much as I've seen Derek Carr. And this is a patented move from him. The old throw it in the dirt and give up. And Derek Carr does not have the improvisation, the ability to extend plays, to make things happen out of nothing, like these great quarterbacks do. Now, let me add Sean Watson to that list, too. And that's where the major difference lies in the makeup of a quarterback's mind to begin with. The other thing Derek Carr likes to do is he makes his decision pre-snap. He reads what the defense or what he thinks the defense is giving him, and he makes his decision where he's going pre-snap. He doesn't seem to have an ability to adjust and find where the open receiver is based on the coverage he's looking at. He reads it pre-snap, and this is how Tyron Matthew got to jump on him. Tyron Matthew's comments after the game were that we know that formation and we know what Derek Carr likes to do in that formation. Some might want to pin this on John Gruden's play calling. That's not what Tyron Matthew's saying. He's saying when this formation comes up, Derek Carr has this exact same tendency every single time. And when this formation came up, I just had to watch Derek Carr and bait him into that interception. And as far as playing football, this is the oldest trick in the book. The old quarterback bait, interception bait. Um, I'm sure you guys have been out on the football, you know, you guys that have played before. Um, you always try to bait the quarterback when you're playing linebacker or a back there in some kind of zone coverage. And someone comes in, he does a little curl, and you know what he's doing. And, you know, you just kind of look away like you don't see him there. You just get close enough that you can make a break on the ball if it's thrown that way. And then you get close enough, but still looks far enough away that the quarterback thinks he's got a shot. Then you just kind of look away like you don't notice the guy's there. And then he throws it, then but swoop. Exactly as I <laughs> Break on the ball and get the interception. And this is how, you know, this goes all the way back to when it, this is one of the first things I learned, just playing on the streets, in a park, on the grass with friends, always baiting that quarterback. You especially that that way, you know exactly what the quarterback's going to do, his tendencies. You know exactly the play this this guy's going to run, and you can set up easier for it. The oldest trick in the book, one of the first things you learn when playing football. Of course, it's a little easier for me with my my breaking speed, my my speed to the ball. You know, breaking to the ball, um, highly rated. You know, uh, fluid hips change direction like nothing you know top prospect i'm serious so anyway tyron matthew studied that film and he did the he did the old basic quarterback bait play 
you know, quarterback bait trick. And this happened on the very first drive. That was the answer to the Chiefs' score. And as the defense played admirably the whole first half, basically holding the Chiefs to 14 points, Derek Carr would help the Chiefs out by adding a touchdown in a pick six. And the score would be 21 nothing at halftime, Chiefs. A very familiar score in Derek Carr's tenure at halftime at Arrowhead. And then Trevor Davis, who was cut after this game, um, he performed very Derek Carr-like in special teams. First return, he fumbles it. Chiefs get it back in Raider territory, like the 15-yard line. Then on a sweep play on a third down, a jet sweep to Trevor Davis. And there's this huge hole there, but Trevor Davis decides, I'm not going to go through that big, giant hole. I'm going to run all the way to the edge here to where this guy's waiting for me, and he's going to stop me from getting the first down. And that's the reason why Trevor Davis got cut. The guy is just incompetent as a football player. Um, This is the NFL. You can't find a huge, giant hole. You don't belong in the league. And you're going to fumble. Your only specialty is returning kicks and punts. And you're going to fumble one? Bye. Get the hell out of here. The only bright spots on the team were our rookies and our young super tight end, Darren Waller. I mean, Waller outperformed Kelsey. He's now the number two tight end in the league as far as yards. But I I think as far as potential and size and speed, he's probably the number one tight end. And Max Crosby continues to have a big impact on the defensive side of the ball. And even Cleland Farrell, who is doing the dirty work and is playing pretty well but not getting any kind of glory plays because he's in there doing the dirty work and doing it efficiently. And, of course, Josh Jacobs who I said needed to have a big start, needed to have a big game. And he did. No matter how bad things are going, nothing seems to be able to stop Josh Jacobs. Now, if we could only parlay that, you know, those runs, that momentum into a sustainable drive and get in for a score, that would be nice. That's the job that was on Derek Carr. His running back was doing what he was supposed to, and Derek Carr fucked it up. John Gruden made the comment, Well, we're going to focus the offense around Josh Jacobs from here on out. That's a good idea, John. It's a really good idea. I think at this point we really need to treat Derek Carr as the game manager, passing only in the optimum situations and keeping passes to a minimum. Another comment by Gruden that is very telling to me about Derek Carr is he's a good quarterback. He has a chance to be a great one. Well, that tells you all you need to hear right there. He's a good quarterback. He's serviceable, you know, the 15. He's right there in the middle range. We can make some things happen with him. And he has a chance to be great, which means, you know, with certain offense and players around him, he can have a great season. But inherently, he isn't a great quarterback. So the two major problems I have with Derek Carr, his awareness, his processing of plays and quick reactions, and his ability to pick his target pre-snap and not make an adjustment through the route, you know, through the route sequence to find an open receiver. These are two major hindrances for any quarterback to be successful. And these are the two major things that are wrong with Derek Carr. I support this team, and I'll continue to support Derek Carr as the quarterback, but I no longer believe what I once did about Derek Carr. Because as much as I want to believe it in my heart, and maybe my heart 
blinds my eyes, it doesn't last for very long. Eventually, my eyes see the truth of what is happening, and I'm able to convince my brain of what's going on. Enough sugarcoating, enough benefit of the doubt, enough excuses. No more for Derek Carr. So what do we do with Derek Carr going forward? What do the Raiders do in the future with Derek Carr and the future of the organization? Well, don't panic. Luckily, I have the answers right here. And in order to get the answer, we need to ask a few more questions. So, question number one. Is Derek Carr so bad that he needs to be replaced immediately? Draft in a rookie and throw, throw him in there, and he'll do just as good as Derek Carr has been performing. Uh, much quarterbacks have fallen into this category. You know, Mitch Trubisky, Josh Rosen, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, those type of guys. Um, the answer is no. He is, Derek Carr at his peak, is a top 15, top 10 quarterback, which puts him in the above average to good quarterback range. That's his ceiling. So the answer is no. He doesn't need to be replaced immediately because his play is so horrible. Number two, can you draft someone and groom him to eventually replace Derek Carr? I believe the answer to this is yes. Um, Derek Carr is serviceable. Like I said, he's an above-average to good quarterback. Uh, kind of in a Joe Flacco role. If you're able to draft a young quarterback that you believe in, and then you'll be able to move on from Derek Carr. But until you find that guy, you, uh, you can have Derek Carr in place, and he can win. you can win some games with him and get to the playoffs. Now, what you can't do, what Derek Carr cannot do is carry a team. You cannot put the team on his shoulders and him carry them to victory. That's not what Derek Carr does. He can lead some game-winning drives. He's done plenty of that. But he cannot put a team on his back and carry them. So I believe this is the best strategy the Raiders should employ when dealing with Derek Carr. Um, let's not waste. Let's not panic. Immediately look for the quarterback of the future in the next draft and waste one of our first two-round picks on him. The quarterback situation isn't that dire. And plus the benefits of having Carr... Right now, I mean, he signed a contract three years ago at $25 million. Right now, at his contract price for a good quarterback, you're getting a deal. It's a bargain right now to have Derek Carr. Also, he has experience in the league, and he's been in a bunch of different systems, and he's, he's a good vet right now. He has some smarts and arm talent as well. And plus, you have John Gruden's system, which isn't easy to learn. Carr's in his second year, and although he feels more comfortable I just don't think that the entire playbook is known to anyone besides John Gruden at this point. Gruden runs a complicated system and takes a very cerebral quarterback to run it. Now, if you find someone like Russell Wilson, who has all the athletic escapability in the world, plus has the fastest processor in the NFL, can make a positive play instantaneously, and scramble around and buy time and drop in beautiful deep passes. Well, that's the ultimate goal. To me, Russell Wilson is the top quarterback in the NFL. And in evaluating any future quarterback, one of the prerequisites is going to have to be that escapability, that quickness, maybe the ability to run. And that's going to be tough to find that combination. As far as I see, Russell Wilson's the only guy that has it. So if the Raiders do draft a quarterback in the future and Gruden does 
think about going that way, he will have to change his offense quite a bit and simplify it so these guys can run it and react rather than having to read a thousand things. So right now is not a huge panic. You have the patience and ability to keep Derek Carr while you wait for your next great QB to pop up. So with Derek Carr, you got a top 15 quarterback. Can be good, can be great. Um, a vet who knows the system. And he has great arm talent. But he's lacking in the area of processing plays. Processing the chaos around him. And buying time and making good plays. And he also has a problem not processing the route route progression. He has a big problem with that. The pre-snap reads going to one guy is not going to work in the NFL. How many times have we seen him stare someone down? I mean, you just can't do these things at this age anymore. And until he proves something else on the football field consistently, that's how he's going to be viewed. And that's how I see him now. It's uncanny how consistently bad Derek Carr has played at Arrowhead Stadium. Not necessarily the whole team. Derek Carr, specifically in Arrowhead Stadium. The defense had an up-and-down day. Uh, they started out well. They did what, you know, everything you could hope for from this defense. Looking at the talent they have, they overachieved for a little while. But they also like to employ, which I hate. It's so frustrating. But they should probably patent it. The patented third down um, fan psych out. Oh, we're going to get him on third down. Oh, no, we're not. First down. Defense that they love to employ every game. And that in itself is pretty demoralizing for a team, for a defense. You play well for two downs. Then on third down, you give up a first down. Whether it's 15 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards. You give up the first down. How demoralizing is that for the defense? And on the other end of it, how uplifting is that for the offense? How hyped do they get for converting that third down? So in Kansas City and Arrowhead, pretty much the same story as every year in Arrowhead. And why did I expect something different, something closer at Arrowhead Stadium? Maybe, I guess it's got to be the silver and black tinted glasses I'm wearing. Nah, I don't think so. So with that latest debacle finished, the Raiders dropped to 6-6. Six and six. And their next opponent, the Tennessee Titans, who were behind the Raiders, are now ahead of them at 7-5. and five. And the Tennessee Titans have been on quite a little run this past four or five games as they look to be improving and getting better just in time for the end of the season rolling into the playoffs, which they very well could make. And I mentioned this Titan team as being an issue in past podcasts. Um, now being in a position of 6-6, six and six, you have to win this game. You absolutely have to win this game. Lose the game to the Titans, the season, the playoff season's over. As far as watching these guys progress, progress and get better, that part will never be over. But the playoffs hopes, if they lose tonight or lose on Sunday, the playoff hopes will be dashed. And I've been worried about this Titan team. I've been watching them. You can see them getting better. Um, with Marcus Mariota out, Ryan Tannehill replacing him. They are a completely different team. They're actually a serious contender now. Mariota was the only one holding them back. And, you know, he's so bad. I wish he was starting. I wish Tannehill was out and Mariota was starting. Because then I would guarantee you the Raiders would win that game. Now with Tannehill in there, it brings the Titans to their full potential. 
in their full potential. They're a very physical, physical team. They love to run the football. They got a 250-pound running back to do it, mixing, you know, mixing play action and passes off the, off of a successful running game is how the Titans are going to operate. They run smart offense and don't really make mistakes. And defensively, another team, one of the top run defenses in the league. Now, what the Raiders have shown recently is that they can't consistently open holes for whatever reason. So, as more, where I once had confidence that this line would just, you know, nut up and knock everyone out of the way, I no longer have that confidence in this line. And they're facing one of the top-run defenses in the league. It's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a tough day on the ground, and are the Raiders ready for that? They haven't shown up the past two weeks, so, you know, it's do or die now. And the Titans come into this game rolling. And Mike Vrabel has proven himself to be a really good coach. He doesn't seem like the type that will have these guys lose focus coming into Oakland and have a letdown game. But it's possible. You know, Raiders have done so bad being whooped by 31 points the past two games. It's possible, human nature, the Titans overlook them. And that'll be the chance the Raiders have. That'll be, if that is going for them, that's one positive. The only other positive I can find is that they're playing at home. And they'll find an extra gear there. I believe they'll find an extra gear at home to finish out the season um, without losing. I really believe the Raiders are super motivated about not losing to Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And to me, that's really the only factor that gives the Raiders a shot in this game. The Tennessee Titans, and I've said in past podcasts, I've been worried about them. To me, these guys are a true playoff team. And as the Raiders' lack of talent throughout the season rises to the top, it begins to become more apparent that this the lack of talent on this roster and the reason why they're grouped with the bottom six feeders in the NFL because the talent is on equal level with those guys. And the reality is, is starting to show. As much as they've game-planned and worked hard and been prepared, it's starting to show now. You may outperform your expectations. You may go above and beyond and be in a position to make the playoffs. But you are still a bottom six talent team in the NFL. And that's not a bad thing. You've overachieved. You've gone beyond expectations. And in so doing that, have created new expectations. But we cannot forget what the original expectations were and how they've exceeded those. Can't forget that. Open your eyes. This is not a playoff contending roster right now. So don't be disappointed when they don't make the playoffs. And if they did, they'd end up getting smoked in the playoffs. And I don't really want that either. That's the thing about Raider fans. We know the truth. And we know how dark the road is. But we can always talk ourselves into something positive. We can talk ourselves into... The Raiders going into Kansas City and beating their ass and getting the victory. Talk ourselves into a lot of things. But we know the truth about our team. And uh, I I really just want you, Raider Nation, to be honest about this team. And appreciate how they've gone above and beyond what was expected of them. And I always remind everyone of that every podcast. But back to the Titans, I don't expect a victory here. I expect them to lose. 
at home, which will be devastating, extra devastating. But that's what I expect. The Titans are a better team. They're rolling right now. They are fine-tuned and ready to win right now. And the game plan for the Raiders is pretty much the same every game. You have to establish the run game and shut down the run on the defensive side. Then hopefully, you know, hopefully you get some good plays while defending the pass. For the Raiders, it's always the same. Run game. Establish the run game. But there should be new caveats. Don't give Derek Carr the freedom to just sling it out there. Establish the run game. Be very disciplined. And be very compact and tight in your play sheet. Have plays designed for him that are going to be easy for him. You need to get some rollouts in there. Things like that. Because he doesn't have the ability, as we're seeing, to sit back there. Because he can't even... He gets panicked even when there's no pressure. The guy has an internal clock where the panic meter goes up at about three seconds and he's throwing it in the dirt and there's no one around him. So that's an issue and need to run some plays where he can make that one read and quick and make pick up big yards with play actions, with play action rollouts, things like that. And hopefully they can put something together this Sunday and shock the world and beat the Titans and get back in the playoff race. And getting in the playoffs is just an extra accomplishment goal. They're not going to do nothing if they do get there. Getting there will be in a tremendous accomplishment. So like I said, let's appreciate this team. But also, let's not get fooled. If they do make the playoffs, don't expect much. This is very much, this team is not a playoff contender right now. This is a team very much in the middle of a rebuild. But we'll tune in Sunday, watch our team, support our team, and hope we get a win. And Raider fans are definitely a glutton for punishment. I mean, we like to laugh at other fans, at other franchises like Browns fans. I mean, can you imagine being a Browns fan? What a miserable existence, right? Dolphins fans, Redskins fans, Bengals fans. We laugh at all of them. We feel bad for all of them. But it's very likely those same fans are looking at us saying the same thing. Raiders have done no better than any of these franchises lately. And it's amazing how Raider Nation every week comes back with renewed hope that their team has a chance. They could win. You know, just the love and passion for this team is why I love Raider Nation so much and I'm so proud to be part of Raider Nation. Only to a lot of times be greeted by something similar to a 31-point beatdown. Then come back with renewed hope and do it again. And then get beat down by 31 again. Then come back again with renewed hope. Raider Nation is for life. And we will never give up on our team. We might talk a lot of crap, but we'll be there every Sunday. Hoping that they can pull out a victory somehow. To the point where someone who's never seen football will just look at us watching it and view it as torture. Us torturing ourselves. Somewhere there's a guy strapped to a chair, hanging by his nutsack with needles poking him in his eyeballs and his body, looking at Raider fans watching the game going, wow, now that's torture. But we're here every week rooting for our team. Nothing will stop that. And that's what separates Raider Nation from everyone else. The fans, every everyone in the nation, in the entire United States against Raider Nation. The referees against us. Everyone always has the advantage, and we're still here, and that's what makes us special. Don't think it's a good spot, sir. 
She still has the advantage over us. Everyone always does. That's what makes us special. One of these days it's going to pay off, and it's going to be soon. One thing I can say is I see the progress here. I see what's being done. We can all see it, and we all have a good reason to hope for the future of this team. So let's strap it up again one more time, Raider fans. Go support this team versus the Titans on Sunday. Against all odds. Hopefully the Raiders come out and brutalize these guys so bad, knock Tannehill around so much that they got to bring Mariota in. And once again, let's get ready for battle. Give our support and energy to this team and hope they can put those Titans down. These teams can't keep us down forever. And if they, whether they know it or not, soon the return of Raider Nation on top will be happening. So as always, Raider Nation, keep it silver and black. There's only one nation, baby. I'll see you guys next time. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along. Swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash. With a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. (laughs) 